I am sure that even within our church, we have different opinions about whether or not the measures that we are taking to combat COVID-19 are justified, but we have this in common, the struggle. We are all struggling in one way or another right now. We're struggling because we, we don't get to see each other, at least not in the same way. We're struggling because we're not able to worship together. Some of us are struggling physically. We've even had to deal with death recently in our church. Some of you are dealing with this crisis spiritually. It is making you worry. It's making you anxious. It's making you fearful. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you are having to work more than one job. And the future is totally uncertain. Depending on who you listen to or who you read, you're hearing different messages. And so we're looking today for a singular message, something that we can rest our feet on, some solid ground that we can stand on. The truth is that one thing, at least one thing, has not changed. There is so much that is changing, but one thing has not changed. And it is the central truth for us as Christians. And that is that Jesus died and He rose from the dead. And Jesus died and He rose from the dead in our place. He died for our sins. He has saved us from our sins. Jesus has. And now, like right now, He is ruling over all. It's obvious to us that when it comes to the coronavirus, we do not have any control. There are things that we can do to mitigate the spread of this illness, but ultimately we are out of control. But God is in total and complete control. And so for us as Christians, at the end of the day, we look to and we trust Jesus. Not doctors, not politicians, not pastors, not our family, but ultimately, ultimately we look to and we trust Jesus. But why? Why is it that we look to Jesus. Why is it that we can trust Jesus? 
And the answer is this, because Jesus alone rose from the dead. That's why. He is the only one. He is the only one to conquer death. And so he stands alone, totally alone, as the only one who has conquered death, as the one in the universe who is qualified to receive our faith and to receive our worship. And so that is exactly what we remember on Easter. And the timing could not be more perfect. We need to think about and we need to be reminded of the power of this God who is in control, the power of God that is able to raise Jesus from the dead. Here is what we mean by the resurrection. Jesus was killed and buried on a Friday afternoon, and he was entombed on a Friday evening. And by early Sunday morning, that tomb, it was empty. It was not empty because his body had been moved. It was not empty because his body had been hidden or stolen. It was empty because he walked out. Jesus' body was not taken from the tomb. Jesus' body left the tomb because he had been resurrected. So let's take some time now to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and consider together the resurrection of Jesus. But first, I need to pray. Father in heaven, help me now to preach well. Help me now to think clearly about your truth and to think clearly about the people who may be listening and watching and to Deliver your truth in a way that will be helpful, in a way that they could be encouraged and even changed. I need your Holy Spirit and his help to do that. I pray for those when and whoever they are who listen, that your Holy Spirit would help them too, to hear this truth, to receive it, to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is reminding his readers of something. What is it? What is it that Paul wants to remind his readers of? Well, it is what Paul always wants to remind his readers of. Listen to verses 1 and 2. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So what is Paul reminding his readers of? What is Paul 
reminding me of and what is Paul reminding you of? It is the gospel. And the gospel is something for them and for us that they had received in the past, that they were standing in, in the present, and by which they were being saved, ongoing into the future. The gospel means good news. It's what the word literally means. The gospel is good news. It is the best news. Paul came to Ephesus and, excuse me, he came to Corinth and preached this gospel. The Corinthians, many of them, believed this gospel. They became Christians. And now, as Paul writes years later, he is reminding them of that same gospel. So what is it, according to Paul? How does he summarize it here? Look at verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul had received it and then he passed it on to them. And here it is. This is Paul's summary of the gospel. It's short and sweet. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day with in accordance with the Scriptures. So what is the Gospel according to Paul here? Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. That is the good news. And if you look, there are two major claims in that Gospel. Just in those few words, there are two claims that are inconceivable. They are extraordinary claims. They are hard-to-believe claims. That Jesus died and was buried is no big deal. Many people before and after Jesus have died and were buried. But there are two other claims here that are a very big deal. Number one, Paul says, Jesus died for our sins. That is a major claim that he's making. And then the second, he was raised on the third day. So he died, conquered death, and then was raised back to life. The latter, that Jesus was raised on the third day, validates the former. The latter, the second big claim, it validates the first big claim. The, the latter claim that Jesus was raised on the third day proves the former, that he died for our sins. In other words, if Jesus was raised on the third day, then his death was for whatever Jesus said his death was for. Likewise, if Jesus was not raised on the third day and he died and he stayed dead, then who cares what Jesus said about his death? It means nothing. So let's make sure that we understand what Paul means by raised on the third day. This is the resurrection. This is what we are celebrating. So what is it? 
Well, human beings, including Jesus, we are embodied souls. There is more to us than a body and there is more to us than a soul. When God created you, He created your body and your soul. And there is no separating them until death. There is no out-of-body experience until death. Death is, and it will be for you someday, it is the separation of your soul and your body. And between now and death, your body and soul, they are inseparable. But when that moment comes for you, and when that moment comes for me, and when this body breathes its last breath, your body and your soul will be split up. Your body will decay. Maybe it will be put into the ground. And your soul will either go where Jesus is or where Jesus isn't. There's a scripture that gives us some insight into this. It's a fascinating text. It's in Luke chapter 16. And there are two men that have died. There's a poor man and a rich man. We don't know the rich man's name, but we know the poor man's name. His name was Lazarus. And something happens to each of their bodies when they die, and then something happens to each of their souls. And we read about it. This is in Luke chapter 16, verses 22 and following. The poor man died. So that was Lazarus. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. That is to say, his soul was carried to the angels at Abraham's side. Well, where is that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when your soul is separated from your body, if you're like this poor man, then your soul is now absent from your body and goes to be present with the Lord. Jesus, in Luke 23.43, looks at a man who is being crucified next to him, who has just put his faith in Christ, and Jesus says to him, today, as in later today, after you die, today you, your soul, will be with me in paradise. Because for that man to be absent from his body would be to be present with the Lord. And so it was the same for this poor man. He died, and his soul was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. That is, his body was buried. You can't bury a soul. His body was buried, and in Hades... So did you catch that? So he was buried, but he's also in Hades. His body was buried, and then his soul in Hades, which is talked about in Revelation 20, 13, being in torment, 
he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So there was the poor man who had died and his soul went to be with Jesus and where Jesus was and the rich man who died and his soul went to be where Jesus wasn't. That is life after death. But listen, that's not resurrection. That separation of the soul and body that happens at death is not resurrection. That's life after death. We're talking about life after life after death. And that's what the Bible calls resurrection. Resurrection is the reuniting of the body and the soul. So resurrection, listen, is the reversal of death. Where death is the separation of the body and soul, resurrection brings together again the body and soul, reunites our body and soul never to die again. And that is what happened to Jesus. He didn't rise from the dead and then die again. He rose from the dead never to die again. He got up and walked out of the tomb. That is what Paul means when he says as part of the good news that Jesus, after he was dead and buried on the third day, was raised. Now, before we move on to Paul's second extraordinary claim here, did that really happen? That is the most important question, isn't it? Is there a more important question for us to ask? The most important man that every human being needs to deal with is Jesus. And the most important question is, was Jesus raised from the dead? Because if he was, and if it is true, then his death means for us what he said his death means for us. And if it didn't happen, if Jesus died and stayed dead like every other human being in history, then as Paul goes on to say in this very chapter, Paul's own preaching is in vain. In verse 14, our faith is in vain. In verse 15, we as Christians are walking around misrepresenting God. In verse 19, our faith is futile. In verse 19, we are still dead in our sins. And if Jesus did not raise from the dead, verse 18, Christians are in hell right now. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, verse 19, Christians are the most self-deluded, pitiful people on the planet. Those are Paul's words. So again, did it really happen? Was Jesus really raised from the dead? There is a lot of evidence that I personally have found compelling. But let's listen to Paul. 
In the next couple of verses, he gives evidence in verses 5 through 8. He, that is Jesus, after he was resurrected, appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What's the evidence? What is the word that you hear Paul say over and over again? Paul, why do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? What does he say? He appeared. He appeared. He appeared to Cephas and the apostles and other groups, even to a group of 500 people that saw him all at the same time. This was not special effects. This was not magic. This was before video. Jesus appeared to James and to Paul. And then what did they do? Well, what would anyone do if their friend rose from the dead? They told people. They told people. They told everyone. They wrote letters about it. They wrote books about it. They became completely obsessed. So this is Paul's stated evidence. People saw him. Paul himself, who is writing this and will die for this, by the way, saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And others saw him. And they were, Paul makes this point, they were still alive. You could go and ask him. I remember the first time that I thought about this. I think it was my junior year in high school. And, and someone gave me this little book called More Than a Carpenter. It was about Jesus and it was written by Josh McDowell. And I want, remember that one of the arguments he made was this very argument. And it was the argument that the apostles of Jesus, they, they saw him raised from the dead. And so they accepted and believed the gospel and preached the gospel. And he brought up the point that every single one of them, save maybe one of them, Every single one of them died for their faith. Every single one of them died preaching and contending that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, if they had hidden his body or stolen his body and made this all up as some kind of an elaborate lie, then you would think at some point one of them would say, it's all untrue. We stole the body. We wanted to carry on this religion. We wanted power. We wanted a following. Not that they ever received any of those things. But every single one of them to their grave, they would not recant. They believed that Jesus was raised from the dead because He appeared to them. There were basically two headlines after the empty tomb. And depending on which newspaper you picked up, you'd see one of either of them. 
The first one was, He is risen. And the other was, Stolen body. And people had to then, and people have to now decide where they land. What actually happened? What is the truth? James, the brother of Jesus, is on the list. James, who was not a believer while Jesus was alive, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He worshipped his brother as God. I think, what would it take for one of my boys to worship one of their brothers? It would take a lot more than one of their brothers saying they were God. I believe it. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was dead in that tomb. The brain activity stopped. The heart stopped beating. His body became perfectly still and cold. There was a corpse in the tomb. But then... Early Sunday morning, there was a brainwave. His heart started beating again. Blood started pumping through his veins. His skin was again flushed with color. His eyes began to move. His mouth opened and he took in air and he sat up. Two major claims, and this is one of them. Jesus was raised from the dead. But there was one more, isn't there? Another inconceivable claim that Paul made. The death of Jesus was for something. Paul was just repeating a claim that the prophets had predicted. It was a claim John the Baptist made. It was a claim that Jesus made. Isaiah spoke in chapter 53 of his prophecy of the suffering servant who would be killed for his people. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul claims here that Jesus died for our sins. That means that Jesus suffered the penalty of sin in the place of his people. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. That is not a word that we use very often. It's not a word we would have reason to use very often. This word propitiation. But here's what it means. It is a sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God against sin. It is a substitutionary sacrifice in the place. It is death in the place of my death and your death. It is separation from God in the place of me being separated from God or you being cast away from God. It is a sacrifice, an ultimate sacrifice, a one and done sacrifice 
that satisfies the anger and justifiable wrath of God against sin. You and I, we are sinners. Christian or not, you and I, we are sinners. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against others. We've all dishonored God. We've all disobeyed God. We've all disregarded God. And death is the punishment for sin. So God is just and He is right to punish sin. But there is a way to be saved and it is by trusting Jesus who... Paul tells us, died for our sins. He came to suffer the penalty of sin in the place of His people. And so those Christians who have died, think about Christians that you know who have died. Maybe it's a brother or sister or mom or dad or grandparent or friend. Those Christians who died because Jesus was raised on the third day and because Jesus died for their sin, those Christians who have died, they are not in hell. They have not just ceased to exist. They are alive with Jesus. So Christians should not be pitied. The world should be pitied. Preaching is not in vain. It produces a result. It has produced a result in my heart. It has produced a result in your heart if you are a Christian. Faith is certainly not in vain. It also produces a result. And we are not dead in our sins anymore. Thank God. Because why did Paul say at the end of 1 Corinthians 15? Jesus was raised from the dead. Therefore, Jesus, it is true. He has died for our sins. We believe His Word. We believe that He died for what He said He died for because He died and rose again. His Promises are not weak promises that are trickling out of a tomb. They are thundering from a throne. But do you believe it? For those of you watching and listening, I wonder if you believe it. I wonder why you're watching this. If you stumbled into it or if you're being forced to watch it, or if you wanted to watch it and are now realizing that you don't believe these things. Well, if you don't believe it, why not? Why don't you believe? What is keeping you from believing the gospel? Really, truly, what is? Is it deep down in your heart, in your mind? What is it that is keeping you from believing this obvious truth 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is keeping you from trusting Him? Maybe that is what is keeping you from believing Him. What is keeping you from giving your life to Him? What is keeping you from following Him? Is it that that keeps you from believing His gospel? Is it your fear of trusting Him and following Jesus that keeps you from thinking deeply about the gospel? What is it? I pray that God would use His Word and that He would even use this message to awaken you to the greatest truth that has ever been told, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who are believers, my prayer for you is it's different. My prayer for you is that you would be assured of this gospel. Do you remember what Paul said back in the very beginning of this chapter that we're studying? He said this gospel is not just something that you received. It's not just something that you heard a long time ago and then you believed it and you became a Christian. It's not just something that you received. The gospel is something that you stand in. The gospel, in other words, is the ground beneath your feet. The gospel is the foundation beneath you. One of the ways that we stand in the gospel is as Christians to be assured of God's love for us. To be assured as deeply as we can be that Jesus did die, that he did rise from the dead, and that he died for my sin. And so I'm no longer facing death and alienation from God forever. I'm no longer facing the guilt and shame of my sin that I cannot bear. I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I've been forgiven. A way has been made for me to have a relationship with God. And so we stand in this gospel. But for many of you, that is very difficult. I pray you would have that assurance, a daily certainty that you belong to God. That God loves you and that God is for you. That assurance is missing in some of you. And in light of the COVID-19 crisis, the absence of that assurance is especially painful. You wonder, am I going to make it? Am I going to survive this physically? Am I going to survive this financially? Am I going to survive this spiritually? Am I going to continue to honor God? Am I going to be faithful? Am I going to finish strong? Is this circumstance or is this sickness or suffering or temptation or persecution, whatever it is, is it going to get the best of me? You fear, maybe. You worry. Because in those times and in those moments, I've been there as well, 
we're not standing in the gospel. We're not assured that God loves us and is for us, that we belong to Him, and He's got the whole world in His hands. And He's got a tighter grip, think of it that way, if you like, on you as His adopted child. And nothing can separate you from His love, including the uncertainty of our days right now. My prayer for you would be the same prayer that Paul had for the Christians in Ephesus, and so I will close by reading it. It is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This is Paul's prayer for them, and know that if I know you and you are a part of this church family, that this is my prayer for you. If I knew you and you were part of this church family, it'd be my prayer for you as well. Listen to what Paul writes. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to God for you. Remembering you in my prayers that, and here's what he's praying for, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Now let me pause. So His prayer for these people that He loves that are struggling, like you whom I love and are struggling, His prayer is that they would know something. That you would believe something. That you would know at the bottom of your heart you would have this certainty. And what is it? That you may know, and he lists off three things. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power Toward us who believe. That you would know the hope. That you would know the inheritance. What is waiting for you one day in heaven. And that you would know that God is for you. And it is his power that is upholding you. It is his power that will get you through this current crisis. And any other crisis. And what kind of power are we talking about here? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Christian, you believe, don't you? God raised Jesus from the dead. What kind of power does that take? We would say that is impossible. We would say that cannot be done, and yet it was, and it was done by power. It is that same immeasurable power, resurrection power, 
that God is working toward you to help you, sustain you, and keep you to the end. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die for our sin. We thank you for accepting his sacrifice and so raising him from the dead and bringing him to your right hand to rule over all. And we thank you, God, that it is that same power that will never let us go. That it is that same power that will keep us. God, that you laugh at Satan's plans to use COVID-19 against us. That you laugh at the plans of evil. That God, you will use all things for the good of those who love you. And we can be sure of this because your power is at work within us and it is the same power that resurrected Jesus. And so we praise you and give you all honor. In Jesus' name, amen.